Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. We will get to our story in a moment, but first, I want to talk about our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for all of your support. Your support through these years have kept us coming back, and we could not afford to do this without you. Thanks to each and every one of you. Also, if you would like to become a Patreon member, head on over to patreon.com slash ohiomysteries. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Ohio Mysteries, and consider becoming a supporter for as little as a dollar. Another great way to help us is to share our podcast with your friends and family. Leave a fantastic review, and that's all we ask. So let's throw another log on the fire, campers. Let's dig up a new Ohio mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with us as always is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss, who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories the Akron Beacon Journal. Hi, everybody. I can imagine reasons why just about any prison would be haunted. They are clearly places of gloom and violence and heartbreaking sadness. But one place that has risen to the top of the list for Ohio ghost hunters is the Licking County Jail. In 1888, Licking County Commissioners announced their intention to build the finest jail in the state, a castle-like complex that would also serve as the residence for the local sheriff. The jail opened in November of 1898 at 46 South 3rd Street in the county seat of Newark. That's 33 miles east of Columbus. It's still there. You can't miss it with its brownstone walls and round turrets and arched windows. In the front of the building, three levels were dedicated for the families of the sheriff and the jail matron. That was very common practice back then. Sheriff Andrew Creeley was the first to move in. The back of the building was the prison with separate floors for male and female prisoners, 32 cells in all, each about eight foot square. Maximum capacity was supposed to be 68 prisoners, but there were times the number of inmates far exceeded that. In 
given its purpose, it was only a matter of time for the jail to start collecting souls. Without exception, the darkest day in the history of the jail was July the 8th, 1910. Context is important here. This is an era when the temperance movement was in full swing. Prohibition, that constitutional amendment that would make alcohol illegal across the country for 13 years, that didn't begin until 1920. But Ohio was the birthplace of the movement. And by 1910, the state was already a battleground. And on July 8th of that year, Ground Zero was Newark. This was the problem. A couple of years earlier, Licking County, by a very slim margin, voted to become a dry county and prohibit the sale of alcohol. A lot of rural areas were embracing the temperance movement and fully supported the idea. But within Licking County, Newark was a growing city with an expanding working class, and they wanted their beer and whiskey. Newark had overwhelmingly voted to stay wet. So Newark authorities, including Mayor Herbert Atherton and the local sheriff and police force, overlooked their 80-some saloons. The saloons pretended to be soft drink establishments, but it was an open secret that inside it was business as usual. Some reports said Atherton and the sheriff both padded their pockets, collecting protection money from bar owners. Since Newark wouldn't shut down its illegal bars, other forces decided to do it for them. And on July the 8th, 1910, 30 men with the Anti-Saloon League of Ohio, all recently deputized as what were called dry detectives, convened on Newark to raid speakeasies that were serving illegal alcohol. The dry detectives swooped in that Friday, armed with search warrants for three establishments owned by Charles Henry, Louis Bolton, and E. Schlegel. In one raid, the detectives hit a bartender, Ed McKenna, on the head with brass knuckles, severely injuring him. Then they handcuffed him and bound him to a pillar while they ransacked the place. While this was going on, the streets in front of the local bars became dense with an angry mob, and the dry detectives found themselves too frightened to go outside. For more than three hours, they were held at bay, the crowd's presence keeping the men in the saloons that they had raided. Finally, the dry detectives decided to make a run for it. They dashed out and ran down the street on foot, the mob in hot pursuit. Near the edge of town, one of the dry detectives, Carl Etherington, turned and fired a shot from his revolver, and it struck William Howard. Howard was a former Newark cop who owned a local tavern. Reports at the time vary in the specifics of how this happened. 
Some outlets said Howard was trying to arrest another dry detective named James Henderson and Etherington shot him. Others said Etherington ran past the Last Chance Saloon, which was owned by Howard, and Howard grabbed him and began beating him with a nightclub, and that Etherington shot him in self-defense. However it happened, Howard was mortally wounded. He would die at the hospital before the night was out. Now the mob fell on Etherington and pounded him. The county sheriff was able to wrestle through the pile and rescue Etherington. Then he took him to jail until things could be sorted out. In the meantime, the local Newark police, who had no idea this raid was going on, probably because the outside authorities weren't going to tip them off, they arrested eight of the anti-saloon raiders and put them in the city prison, charging them with assault and battery for roughing up the bartender. Since the resident who was dying in the hospital was a former cop and a tavern owner, a whole lot of locals knew him and liked him, and they weren't taking the news of his impending death very well. Mayor Atherton appealed to the growing mob to let the law take its course, and for a moment it seemed like he might have swayed them. Things started dispersing, but it was only a temporary lull. Very soon, they were back and in force. Between a 1,000 and 5,000 people, depending on the news source, returned downtown and surrounded the Licking County Jail, calling for Etherington's head. Etherington made a heartbreaking appeal for his life. At the time, reporters thought he was between 19 and 22 years old. Modern-day researchers now know he was just 17. A United Press reporter who visited him in his cell said the kid had all the appearance of an innocent, curly-headed, overgrown farm boy. Etherington told that reporter, I didn't know what I was coming down here for. I was employed by this agency in the Citizen Building in Cleveland on April the 7th as a strike breaker, and I was sent to Columbus. Then on Friday, a bunch of us were sent to Newark, and I didn't know until I got here what we were going to do. I shot that man in self-defense. Etherington identified himself as a U.S. Marine who served in Panama until leaving the military three months earlier. His first job back home was with that strike-breaking agency for $3 a day. I can't explain how this works with his age. If he was 17 when he left the military, he clearly joined at a very young age. Now, an hour after he made that statement, around 8 p.m., the mob learned Howard had died, and they started to work at busting down a north side door to the jail using a railroad tie as a battering ram. It took them an hour. During that time, Etherington was hastily writing a goodbye letter to his mother, who lived in Willisburg, Kentucky and repeatedly asking his jailers, what will mother say? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. At 9 p.m., the mob broke through. They wrested the keys from jailer William Lavin, then forcibly removed Etherington. As they dragged him outside, he was heard screaming, I didn't mean to do it. They took him to a telegraph pole at the southeast end of the courthouse square. That's the corner of 2nd and South Park Streets. They had a rope and a block for him to stand on. And as they pushed him up the block, he was asked if he had any last words. One reporter said, he said, I want to warn all you young fellows not to try and make a living the way I have done. It was said they knocked the block from beneath his feet before he even finished speaking. Inside the jail, Sheriff William Link was calling Governor Judson Harmon and asking for help. The governor was livid chastising him for waiting so long to call and accusing him of standing by while the rioters had their way with the dry detectives. The governor sent in leaders with the National Guard to look at the situation, but they quickly withdrew. According to the media, they, quote, saw the revulsion of the mob to their presence and thought it would only make things worse. Etherington's body hung on that pole for an hour as the crowd slowly returned to their homes. Afterward, he was cut down and his body prepared to be sent home to Kentucky. The next day, in Willisburg, Kentucky, reporters found a farmer named Etherington and they told him about the lynching. That's how Hartwell Etherington learned his only son was killed. He said, We are the only Etheringtons living near Willisburg, and if the young man in Ohio said his people lived here, I guess it must be my boy. Etherington's mom died within a year of his death. A year after that, in 1912, Hartwell Etherington killed himself with a bullet to the head. An article at the time said he had lost interest in life after the death of his son. The morning after the riot, the sun rose on a very quiet town. Newark's streets were deserted. The local police had even released the dry detectives that they had arrested the night before. The mob did not get away with what they'd done. State authorities went to work to figure out who was responsible for the mess. Fifty-eight mob participants were indicted, 25 of them for first-degree murder, But in the end, only 11 citizens received any sentences, and none served more than four years in jail. The town's leaders were out, however. The governor used his power to remove the mayor and the sheriff from office. A few years ago, 
Newark Deputy Chief Eric McKee made a case for honoring Carl Etherington as a murdered lawman. His research showed that Etherington was sworn in as a deputy marshal by the mayor of Granville at 8.30 the morning of the riot. Because Newark officials wouldn't serve warrants on their own saloons for violating the county's dry laws, the Granville mayor was deputizing marshals to go in and do it for them. That made Etherington a legal law enforcement officer, even if his tour lasted just 12 hours. And Deputy Chief McKee's efforts have seen Etherington added to various roll calls of officers who died in the line of duty. The Lincoln County Jail remained in use all the way to 1987, but some say there are inmates who have never left. Historians say four sheriffs suffered heart attacks in the sheriff's living quarters, three of whom died, Ross Embry in 34, Albert Francis in 49, and William McElroy in 62. There were also 14 inmates who took their last breath in the jail, many of them by suicide. In 1953, a 55-year-old Newark woman named Mae Varner set herself on fire at the jail with the only match she had and died of her burns. It is said she still haunts the matron's quarters. And then there was the case of Walter Benjamin Robertson, In 1935, the 61-year-old man asked his 60-year-old girlfriend, Della Crottinger, to marry him. They were neighbors on farms in northwest Licking County and had been sweethearts for 35 years. She said yes, then he clubbed her to death. He would never give a reason for killing her. A few days later, on the day he was to have been given a sanity test, Robertson was found hanging in his cell. He used a blanket for a noose. And, of course, there are those who wonder if Carl Etherington is one of the spirits that still occupy the halls there. The jail also housed some extraordinary killers, like Newark housewife Laura Bell Devlin. She was 72 years old, when she killed her husband, Thomas, in 1947. She cut off his arms and his head with a handsaw and cooked them in the oven of her King Avenue home. She tossed his torso and other body parts into the backyard and an adjacent field, which is what eventually alerted police to something strange going on inside the house. She claimed it was retaliation because he had threatened to kill her many times. Other inmates of the historic Licking County Jail were Thaddeus and Gary Lewington. In 1978, the Newark brothers were convicted of robbing and shooting to death 10 people across three counties. Today, the historic jail is overseen by the Licking County Governmental Preservation Society, which has made the jail available for public and private tours. It's been featured on that Travel Channel series, Ghost Adventures. Now, a website for the jail said tours and scheduled events were being postponed because of COVID concerns. 
It doesn't look like the site has been updated since last year, but if ghost hunting is your thing, be sure to watch for updates at lcjail.org. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. And like I said at the beginning of the podcast, share our podcast everywhere. We are currently trying to reach our goal of being the number one podcast on killerpodcasts.com, which we currently hold the second most listened podcast there. I know you can help us get there. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.